0: Today, we are going to be reading for Palm Sunday from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, and that's page 939 in the Blue Bible. So there's a Bible in the seat in front of you um, in the rack, and you can go ahead and open that up. And if you don't have a Bible at home, that one is yours to keep. If it doesn't have a cover, some are missing covers, find a better one and then take that one. Um, But that is yours to take home if you would like. And here at Flourishing Grace, we believe that this book is the word of God. We submit our lives to these words on these pages. So in honor and reverence, if you are able, would you stand with me as I read it? It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If someone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and I will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they said what Jesus had said to them, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. You guys may have a seat.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Desiree. All right, Flourishing Grace. Well, good morning again. Happy Palm Sunday. Man, I wanted to, uh, re- real quick, uh, in the last gathering, man, I sh- gave a shout out to uh, M- Morgan Red uh, and Lucas Red, who... Um, they're, they're a young couple here at Flourishing Grace, and some of you might, might know this, some of you might not. If you're new, you probably don't know this, but there are, there's an army heading our way—an um, army of small, tiny, little hands, little feet. Um, but they might take us over, right? Uh, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of pregnant ladies here at Flourishing Grace. Okay, it's, just, it's like a lot. Okay, um, it's going to be. An interesting few months for us here at Flourishing Grace. And so Morgan and Lucas, I mean, they they poured in a ton of time and resource and energy into providing a space for those new moms. And so there's now uh, a room for nursing mothers. The first room on the right, as you go down the hall there, you'll see it. That's Binger's old office. We kicked Binger out. We said, "Uh, we're going to let these babies come in here because if not, they're going to kill us all. All right. um, So... You can find that there. Um, if you can't get in, there's a little keypad on the door. So ask, ask Lindsay at the kids' check-in or ask whoever's at the ch- kids' check-in. Um, and they'll let you in, in there. But we are excited to have, um, man, just a, a, a whole host of crying and screaming and drooling kids. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be so much fun. Um, on the flip side of that coin, though, is that a lot of these moms and dads, right, who are faithfully serving and volunteering, whether that be in our uh, prayer and hospitality ministry or in our kids' ministry or whatever it is, they're going to be saying, hey, can I, can I just have like a few months off here? And that's a good and right thing uh, that they should be doing to, to, to be uh, focusing in on that newborn baby. So we're just going to need a lot of new volunteers. And so if you are here at Flourishing Grace and you're not volunteering, but you're like, man, I could I could serve in kids ministry. I could serve in prayer and hospitality. That would be amazing. That would be that would be huge. And so uh, we would love we would love to have you in that. You can talk to Lindsay in our kids ministry. You can talk to Taylor. Taylor's in the back. Everybody say hi, Taylor. Uh, Ta- Taylor's over at prayer and hospitality. She would love to get you plugged in to those ministries as we kind of move through this crazy season here as a church. It's a lot of fun, but it's gonna be it's gonna be wild. It's gonna be nuts. So, anyways. Here we go. Uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, We are beginning a brand new series this morning. It's kind of, it's like a micro series in the midst of a larger series. For those of you who've been around, you know this. We've been walking through the pursuits of flourishing grace. What are the things that we are going to take really, really seriously as a church? Like, what are the things that we're saying, we're getting behind this. Like, everything we do is going to be in the context of these things. It's going to be the things that drive us forward as a church. And so we talked about the pursuit of spiritual formation. We want to be formed into the image of Jesus. That's something we're going to get after as a church, and we're doing that through path groups. We've got a new path group course launching in a few weeks. right? We want to get into groups of people who are forming us into the image of Jesus. We want to see Jesus... be formed in us and we, we want to be able to begin to live the way that Jesus lives. So we pursue spiritual formation. We pursue dependency. I talked about that earlier. We're dependent on God in prayer. We're dependent on the Holy Spirit. Right? We pursue the table. right? We launch table groups. We want to do life and ministry the way Jesus did life and ministry around a table. So we've talked about that. And now we're moving into the pursuit of the kingdom. The pursuit of the kingdom. Now, you say, what is that? What, how do what is it? Why would we pursue the kingdom? Why would we do that? Well, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. This is what he tells his disciples to do. And depending on your translation of the Bible, um, some, of it says, some, some of the translations say, above all else, seek the kingdom of God. Above all else, seek the kingdom of God. And yet I think that if we went around the room and they said, hey, what is the kingdom of God? Some of us might struggle to answer that. Some of us who actually love Jesus and would say, "Man, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus." And I say, "What's the kingdom of God?" You're like, "Ah, uh, heaven? I don't, know. I don't know. Like, what's the kingdom of God? I don't know. How do you pursue the kingdom of God? I be a good person? I don't, I don't know. Like, what does that mean? Right? When we look at kind of the big C church, not just Flourishing Grace, but the church as a whole, especially specifically in the West, right? I think we've lost this concept of what is the kingdom of God and how do we pursue it. We know how to pursue all kinds of things. We know how to like be a good person and we know how to do church activities and and whatever the heck it is. But how do we actually pursue the kingdom of God? And what the heck is the kingdom of God? Those are the questions we're gonna be wrestling through over the next few weeks here at Flourishing Grace as we take seriously the pursuit of the kingdom what's happening in our culture right now as we talk about the kingdom of God and where we've, I, I, as I said a minute ago, I think we've really lost this. We've gotten off track. And what I see happening is kind of one of two things. O- over here, you have a people who are constantly looking for a better king, constantly kind of hanging their hopes on, on a lesser king. Um, and this is, if I'm honest, um, in this room, if you're, if you're a little bit older than I am, you probably fall into this camp Right? You're just constantly looking to the next man who's gonna lead you or guide you. Right? It's gonna be the next president, it's gonna be the next pope, it's gonna be the next prophet or priest or whoever, the next politician. Like if we can just get the right person in office, like we're gonna be good. Like the kingdom of God will be better if we can just get the right person in office. Like that's what the church needs more than it needs anything else. Is that just to like, make America great again or something like, like we just need a better, we just need a better leader. That's a lie, man. There is no, there's no hope in the earthly kings and the earthly kingdoms of this world. But now, in this corner, this, these people over here would say, That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I don't need a king to lead me. I don't need a king to tell me what to do. I don't need, a, I don't need anybody to lead me or guide me. And the, the reality is, if you're younger than me in this room, you probably land in this category. They're like, That's a stupid idea. I don't need a king. I, I don't need anybody to tell me what to do or who to be. I, I'm I'm good. Like I can actually figure it out on my own. Thank you. I'll just put it in a chat GPT. We'll get it all figured out. It's no problem. It's problem solved. For those of you who are like, "What's chat GPT?" You're in that category. Um, <laughs> listen, listen. This person's declaring something else though. They're declaring, "I'm my own king." I'm my own king. And what I hope you see today and over the next few weeks is that Jesus is the true king. He's the true king that we need because he's the king that we could never actually become on our own. And he's the king that we would never elect. What you're going to see in five days if you gather with us on Good Friday is that there's a vote for Jesus and nobody votes for him. Nobody votes for him. They vote for Barabbas. Let Barabbas out of jail. Keep Jesus in there. Crucify him. They vote to crucify him. He's the king that we would never elect. He's the king that we would never choose. But he is the greatest king. He is the king of all kings. And that's what I hope you see today and over the next few weeks and that you learn what does it mean to pursue him and to pursue his kingdom. But today, this morning, I want to honor Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a special Sunday that the church has been recognizing for over a thousand years. We gather once a year to kind of inaugurate the events of what we call Holy Week. And on this day, what's happening in this moment in first century Israel is Jesus is declaring his kingship. He's saying, I'm becoming king. This is it. And everybody around him grasps this, under, uh, this idea and, this under, and understands this. Now, for you and I, when we read the words that Desiree read for us earlier, like, we, we kind of scratch our heads and we're like, this is a weird thing. We, and it's easy for us to dismiss it. Like Jesus literally steals somebody's baby donkey it rides it into town as everybody chants and screams and throws palm branches and cokes them. It's like, what is happening? Ah, it's just a weird thing that Jesus did. Let's move on with life. Or, you know, this Sunday is special because it's, it's the beginning of Holy Week. We're marching towards Easter. Easter is the big day. Easter is a big day. But there's something unique and special going on here where the people... People understand it. They grasp it. And they're screaming and they're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. Who was David? The king. The king. king of what? Israel. Israel. The king of Israel. Was David a good king or a bad king? Good king. David's kind of the most well-known king of Israel. Israel right? He's a good king. He's a man after God's own heart. not a perfect king, but he's a good king. And he's the second king of Israel, right? Um, King Saul, not not so good of a good king, right? And David comes along. David is a good king. And David is, God makes David a promise. Because David is faithful, because he's a man after God's own heart, God says to David, listen, I'm going to establish for you an everlasting kingdom. An everlasting, an eternal kingdom. What happened to David, though? He died. He died. He's not an everlasting king. He's not an eternal king. And so in this Davidic covenant, it was what's known for the Jews, for the Israelites, what they believe, what they know is true, God will deliver on that promise. It didn't come through David, but he's coming. One is coming from the lineage of David who will save, who will rescue, who will redeem the Messiah, the Savior King. And what's happening in this moment, in this time when Jesus is riding this donkey into Jerusalem, which John read the the prophecy earlier, saying that their king is going to come on the foal of a donkey. A baby donkey is coming. And they're screaming and they're chanting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna literally means, save us. Save us. They're saying, this is it, the Savior King, the one from the lineage of David who's going to push back the powers of darkness, the mighty warrior king who's going to reestablish the rule and reign of all Israel. This is it. The Messiah is here. They grasp it. They understand it. They see what Jesus is declaring, and they're declaring it with their own words. The king has come. The king has come. Now, David is a type what theologians call a prototype of Christ. When we look at the life of David and we look at the events of his life again and again and again and again, we can stack them next to the events of Jesus' life and we see the same thing, only better. Where David was great, Jesus is greater. Where David fails, Jesus conquers and succeeds. So you have famous stories like David and Goliath, where David, um, as a a young boy, as a young man, goes out to fight this massive battle-hardened warrior, Goliath. And everybody's afraid and no one will do it, but David takes him on and he kills him. He cuts off his head and in doing so saves the entire nation of Israel. He fast-forward to the life of Jesus, this unassuming man from Nazareth, this kind of no-name place in the middle of nowhere. He comes on the scene and he defeats the giant of sin and death and therefore saving the entire created order, reestablishing the kingdom of God. We stack David next to Jesus and we see the same thing, only greater, again and again and again and again. And I would argue that this, this day, Palm Sunday, these events, Jesus riding in on a donkey and the things that he's doing and the things that are happening are echoing from the, the reign of David. When David first comes on the scene, we're seeing the same things happen. And one day, Jesus is going to come back and we're going to see the same things happen again. Because anytime the kingdom of God is advanced, we see the same things. There's a pattern that unfolds from the beginning of Scripture, from the garden all the way to Revelation. It's a theme of the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. The kingdom of God and God sending his own son to reestablish, to rescue and redeem a kingdom, to become its King. To restore that broken kingdom. And we're gonna see that this morning. We're gonna see that when the kingdom of God comes, there's three common things that we see again and again and again. We see a city, we see a presence, and we see a song. We're gonna look at those three things this morning. We're gonna look at a city, a presence, and a song. First, a city. Jesus is riding this donkey into a city. What city is he riding it into? You don't have to whisper. Jerusalem. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you any trick questions uh, this morning. I promise. Uh, I missed it by one day. Right? Someday April Fool's Day is going to land on a Sunday, and I'm going to get you all. But today is not that day. Um, Jerusalem. He's riding into the city of Jerusalem. What is Jerusalem? Okay, it's a, it's it's the, if there's a temple there. What's what's specifically what's the city? What is the city known for? City of David. What is it in the grand scheme of things? Capital. The capital city. That's right, the capital city. When did it become the capital city of Israel? You want to know? It becomes, becomes the capital city of Israel at the very beginning of David's rule and reign. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, okay, David becomes king of Israel. Now, he became king long before that. Ten years earlier, more than ten years earlier, he was anointed as king, right? Uh, Samuel comes to David's house, to David's father. He says, bring all your boys out here because God has told me one of them is going to become king. And they brings all the boys out. And Samuel's like, nope, 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 nope. Uh, what's going on here? Got anybody else? He's like, eh, no, but not anybody that you want. He's like, what are you talking about? Where are you, Where's your boys? And he's like, well, David. But he's like out in the field with the sheep. And, trust me, he ain't king material. He's like, bring him in here. And so they bring him David. And he's like, this is the one. They anoint David as king. David becomes king in the eyes of God. But it won't be till over 10 years later in 2 Samuel chapter 5 that he actually becomes king of Israel. He's king of Judah, right? One of the tribes of Israel. But in 2 Samuel chapter 5, all of the elders of Israel, all of the tribes get together and say, David's our guy. David's the man. He's going to be king. He's going to rule us. He's going to lead us. And the first thing David does as king, the very first thing, is he conquers Jerusalem. Jerusalem is this city that sits uh, between the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. He says, I want that city. That's going to be my home. It's this fortified city. So he drives out this Canaanite tribe, uh, the Jebusites. He drives them out. He conquers the city. He builds himself a palace. He says, this is the city of the king. This is going to be the mark of hope for Israel. It will stand for centuries and centuries as the city of the king, the city of David. Jerusalem is the first place in in the Bible that we see the word Zion being used. Like this fortified city of the king, this place David says, this, this is my city. This is where I'm going to rule and reign. And so when Jesus wants to declare that he's becoming king, where does he go? He goes into the city of Jerusalem, the city of the king, the city of David. He's declaring, I'm becoming king. I'm becoming king. And someday, someday, there's going to be a new city, a new Jerusalem. When Jesus inaugurates his final rule and reign and hands the kingdom over to his father, there'll be a new city. John recounts this in Revelation. He sees this city. It says in Revelation 21, verses one through two, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Jesus is preparing a new city for us, an eternal city, where the kingdom of God will be established forever and ever and ever. A new city is coming for us. And any time we see a, a movement in the kingdom of God, there's a city involved. A place, a sphere where this is transpiring, where this is taking place. And right now, the church is the outpost of the kingdom of God. We, Flourishing Grace, we are the kingdom of God in our time. And you are the outpost of that kingdom. Whatever city you live in, whether you be in Bountiful or Centerville, North Salt Lake or Farmington or Kaysville, West Bountiful, Woods Cross, wherever you live, wherever you spend your days, you are the outpost of the kingdom of God, bringing the kingdom of God into your place of work, into your home, into your office, into your school. We're bringing it in. We're bringing it into our craft, into our art. We are the ambassadors of Christ, bringing the kingdom of God. So when we pursue, when we seek first the kingdom of God, when we pursue the kingdom. We're pursuing it in our time and in our space. The kingdom of God is now. It's now. It's now. It's in your life. Every day, we are ambassadors of Christ, pursuing the kingdom of God where he has us. Someday, someday the kingdom of God will be finally complete in a city, a new city, a new Jerusalem. But right now, God has scattered that kingdom over the entire world. We bring it into our city and into our places. So we seek the kingdom by seeking the good of our city. Second is a presence, a presence, a city, a presence. The true kingdom is more about the presence of God than politics. There's a lot of politics in the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks from now. Not next Sunday because it's Easter and nobody wants to talk about politics on Easter. All right, let's not do that. But we're going to talk about that in a few weeks from now. There's politics in the kingdom of God. But it's far more about the presence of God than it is politics. David does something really, really important. After he conquers the city of Jerusalem, the first thing he does, he says, I don't just want this city to be like a hub of kind of political hub where everybody comes to worship me as king and listen to my decrees. Like That's not what I want this city to be. That's not what the city of God is like. God, David says, I want the presence of God in this city. I want people all over the world to know this is where you come, not to meet with the king, but to meet with God. This is God's city. And so David goes and he gets the Ark of the Covenant. In the very next chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 6, he gets the Ark of the Covenant. and He brings it into the city. It's a long story. This is where they, like, drop the Ark and the guy reaches out and touches it. And he's he gone. He, he dies instantly. Right? David gets scared. He puts it away. It we don't have time to get into it this morning. They bring the Ark into the city. And they put up a tent right in the middle of the city and say, this is where God is going to dwell. The ark is the symbol of the presence of God. It's where God came to meet with the Israelite people for generations. David says, this is the dwelling place of God and the dwelling place of his king, the city of Jerusalem. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 13 through 15. It reads this way. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord, shouting with the sound of the horn. David recognizes the, the most sacred thing, the greatest thing that will happen in, in all of his kingdom, the thing that he wants to be known for more than anything else is the presence of God. And so every six steps, they sacrifice an ox and a fatted animal, and they're singing and dancing. They dance with all of his might, wearing a linen ephod. A linen ephod is it's it's the underwear of a priest. Okay, it's it's literally like it's what a priest would wear as his underwear. All right, and it's this is symbolic, and it's a gesture. What David is saying: David's the new king. He should be wearing like royal robes and a crown and a scepter. And he's like, no. That's not the kind of king I want to be. I want to be the kind of king that points to the beauty and the wonder and the goodness of the presence of God that leads the people as a priest into his presence, but does so humbly. I'm not going to wear some high priestly garment. That's not me. No, I'm the lowliest of lowly of lowly priests and kings. My job as king is to point you to the true and glorious presence of God. Anytime we want to seek the presence of God, Sorry. Anytime we wanna seek the kingdom of God, to pursue the kingdom is to pursue the presence of God. We pursue all kinds of things as citizens of the kingdom, constantly pursuing things. Some of those things are good things and some of those things are right. Some of those things are not good things. But if you wanna get serious about the, pursuing the kingdom of God, if you wanna seek first the kingdom of God, you seek the presence of God because the presence of God is at the center of his kingdom. The presence of God is at the center of His kingdom, we must be a people who seek the presence of God and take seriously the call to seek the kingdom. Now, Jesus again does not come in some chariot or being carried by people. He comes on the foal of a donkey. And John read earlier the the prophecy from Zechariah um, that says, "Man, this is how your king is going to come." But in the same way as David, Jesus says, no, I'm going to come humbly. and I'm going to come lowly. I'm not going to come in these royal garments with a crown on my head. No, he's going to wear a crown of thorns. I'm going to come lowly and gently. But what's the first thing Jesus does when he gets to Jerusalem? Desiree read it for us earlier. Did anybody pick up on it? What's the first thing he does? Where does he go? To the temple. Go straight to the temple. I think it's funny um, in Mark's account because Mark recalls this. He goes to the temple and he looks around and he's like, let's go, let's go to bed. Right? He's like, there's too much to do here. I right, ain't got time to do this tonight. It's getting late and I just don't have the energy for it. It's been a long day. We're coming back tomorrow. And the very next day, Jesus comes back to the temple. And this is where he clears the temple. He's flipping over tables. He fashions a whip. He's driving out the money changers. He's like, this is not how this is going to be. This is not how this is going to be. He says, my house, don't you know it's written? My house will be a house of prayer. My house will be a house of prayer. He drives them out. Why is Jesus driving out the money changers? Because he doesn't want money changers? There's a deeper reason. It's because the money changers have driven out the presence of God. Jesus is once again reestablishing the presence of God in the midst of the kingdom. He's driving out the money changers in order to invite in again the presence of God. The first thing David does is he brings the ark into the center of the city. The first thing that Jesus does is he drives out what's in the center of the city as replaced the presence of God. He says, when I become king, the presence of God will be at the center of my kingdom. This is what Jesus is doing. He's replacing. He, he's, he's returning the presence of God, reestablishing the presence of God. His kingdom will reestablish the presence of God, and God will again be the center of all things in the kingdom of Jesus. And again, when we look forward to the future kingdom, the finalization of all things, the eternal everlasting kingdom, we see again at the center of all things the presence of God. This is that same passage I read earlier from Revelation 21. I'm going to reread it, and then I'll show you the next verse. So it says this. It says, Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, this is what I read earlier, For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then he says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The kingdom of God is all about the presence of God. God longs to be present with those whom he loves. As is how it was meant to be in the Garden of Eden when God first establishes dominion on earth he does so through Adam and Eve. We're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks. He establishes dominion, and he gives them the dominion. And one day, one day, I don't want to spoil it for us. We're going to talk about more about this. One day, in this moment, at the end of all things, God is going to hand dominion back over to his people, to us, for us to rule and reign for all time in the kingdom of God in heaven. But God longs to be present with his people, be present with us. He's gone to great lengths to restore that presence. The kingdom of God is all about the presence of God. So to seek first the kingdom of God is to seek his presence above all things in our lives. To not seek church for church's sake. We don't come here on Sunday morning to gather to sing songs and to hear from the morning. Like those are all good things. We seek the presence of God. That is why we are here. We need the presence of God in our lives. I need the presence of God in my office. I need the presence of God in my school. I need the presence of God in my marriage. I need the presence of God in my house. To seek first the kingdom of God is to invite the presence of God, to fight to get the presence of God back in. David says, at all costs, we will get the ark into the center of our city. Jesus says, at all costs, I will drive out what is impeding the presence of God from the city. We do the same thing in our lives. I will drive out everything that is coming between me and the presence of God, and I'll fight to get the presence of God into all the places that I am a part of, because I am a subject of the kingdom of God. I'm an ambassador of Christ. And so I fight for the presence of God. I seek first his kingdom by fighting for the presence of God in my life. Lastly, a song. A city a presence, and a song. Only the true king is worthy of true worship. David comes into the city carrying the ark. It says he's dancing with all of his might. Now I picture like just an absolute rager of a party. Picture like dancing with all of your might. Like everything you got, you're just giving it to dancing like in that moment. Like complete, absolute, total exhaustion. Like that would be quite a sight to see, right? This guy with all of his might just, just shaking and writhing his body. Just everything he's got, right? And there's music and there's singing and there's song and they're carrying harps and instruments. and And In 2 Samuel, right, we we don't see the words. We don't know what is the song. But there's a place in the Bible where the songs of David are recorded. Where are the songs of David recorded? In the Psalms. And we have the song that he sang. We know the song that he sang as he came into the city. It was a song of call and response. David would sing a line, and then all the people would chant another line. And then David would sing a line, and all the people would chant another line. We know the song. Comes in Psalm 24. I'm gonna to read to you verses 7 through 10. Here's how the song goes: David would sing, Lift up your heads, O gates, as they come into the city. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? And then the people would sing, The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And then David would sing, Lift up your heads, O gates. And lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? And the people would sing, the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. David is this brand new king over the nation. This powerful man who has conquered in battle. He's bringing in the ark, triumphal victory. Here I come, baby. The king is in the house. And David says, who is this king of glory? He says, don't you dare say me. Because it's not me. Don't say me. Thanks, guys. Don't say me. I wonder if she knows who the King of Glory is. Should I ask her? I'm just kidding. Um, don't say me. David knows he's, it's not him. It's like his inaugural day. He's bringing in the ark. He's conquered. He's done it all. He's got the city. He's got the presence of God. And he says, don't say me. There's one coming who's Far greater and far mightier than I am. The Lord, strong and mighty, He is the King of glory. And for those of you over here, and I know this is, this is a lot of us who are saying, man, I don't need anybody to rule me. I don't need anybody to lead me, and I don't need anybody to guide me. How are you doing? Like, how, how's that going for, for you? We need the King of glory. We need the one who's mighty and strong to pursue the kingdom. It's to stop pursuing ourself, to pursue the king of glory, the one true king, Jesus. He is the king of glory. And when you compare this and contrast this to what happens um, on Palm Sunday, we see something really unique and special here. Because the people are declaring this, right? The people are singing, Hosanna, Hosanna to the the son of David. I I like um, Mark's account or sorry, Luke's account. Luke says it this way. He says, And he, Jesus, was drawing near already on the way down from the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. They're praising God with a loud voice. They're singing and shouting and chanting, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're declaring it. This is the king. He comes in the name of the Lord. Here he comes. This is our king. And they're singing it. They're singing of his mighty works and his mighty deeds. Right? And the Pharisees, they see this. And they say to Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? Tell your disciples to stop. Don't you understand how blasphemous this is? Don't you understand how how wrong this is? You can't sit there and let them declare this about you. Jesus says to the Pharisees, if these would stop, the very rocks would cry out. David says, I'm not the king of glory. Jesus says, but I am. I am. And if the people stop singing it, the rocks beneath their feet will declare it. I am the king of glory. Jesus is the one who has come for us. He is the one strong and mighty. He is the one who's mighty in battle. When the true king comes, there's a song to be sung. And someday we will sing that song. Uh, in the future kingdom, in Revelation, there's a song to be sung. I'm going to read this. as a long passage. We're almost done. This comes from Revelation chapter 5. And I want you to see the song that we are going to sing one day. When the king comes in, it's Revelation five verse one through fourteen. It's kind of long, like I said, but bear with me. Lean in. Here's how it reads: John writes this. He says, "Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within, and on and on the back sealed with seven seals. God was holding the scroll, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a with a loud voice." Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb, not a lion, but a lamb, standing as though he had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, with the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bulls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take up the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for god from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our god and they shall reign on the earth who's going to reign we are they shall reign on the earth Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and glory and honor and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped him. Friends, one day, if you are in Christ, that will be your song. That will be your song. Every creature in heaven, in earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, every fiber, every molecule, every atom, every proton, the rocks will cry out, and they will sing, worthy is the one who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing and glory and honor and might forever and ever. We will sing that song. And until that day, we sing it with our lives. Every moment of our lives, every every hour, every bit of it is meant to be a song to our king. We live lives of gratefulness and gratitude. We sing his praises everywhere we go. He is king, and we declare it with our lives, with our very lives, with our actions. We declare it in our places of work, in our offices. We declare it in our art, in our craft. We declare it in our relationships, in our marriages, in our kids, in our families. We declare it everywhere we go. Our life is a song to the king. To pursue the kingdom is to sing a song with your very life because everywhere the kingdom comes, there is singing and praises to the one who is worthy of all praise and glory. So we who seek the kingdom first, we seek the good of our city. We bring the kingdom as ambassadors of Christ. We bring it into every corner of our lives. We seek the presence of God above all things, in all the corners of our lives. And we sing his praises with the actions of our lives everywhere we go, declaring that we are ambassadors of the true king. This is who we are. We are the people of the kingdom seeking first the kingdom of our God. Jesus is king. Let us be a people who pursue him every day. We don't need one day a year to remind us of this, Palm Sunday. We don't know because we do it every day. We pursue the king and the kingdom. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this morning we come before you, and I pray that for those of us in this room who maybe this morning have been pursuing their own kingdom, those in this room who maybe this morning have been um, finding their hope in lesser kings, banking on Presidents or politicians, popes or prophets, someone will save them and someone will lead them and someone will guide them. I pray that you'd convict us this morning, that you turn our face towards you, that you would increase our awareness of your constant presence in our lives, that your presence in this room. that you'd help us to fix our gaze on you, that we might sing a new song. Every day, the sweetness of your goodness and your mercy would be on our lips. Everywhere we would go, we would declare that the core of who we are, the most significant thing in our life, is that Jesus has become king. And that nothing would thwart us from that. We'd be people who would our delight and our joy in you. And we would carry that delight and joy. Into every square inch of your kingdom. Praise in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus, amen.